Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Rob, and you're listening to my podcast. Welcome to Agitate. This week on Agitate, I speak with Colin Tuff. Colin started out as an electrical engineer, then moved on to photography, and is now doing his passion career, fabricating bicycles, some of the best hand-built rides in Ireland, if not the best. I'll be speaking to him about career changes, photography, and Vancouver Island. So welcome, Colin Tuff. So, Colin. It's been years. It has been years, Rob. It has. You've changed. Uh, you've changed careers now. I have. How long has this been? Um, so it's uh, two years now. I've changed. So it's, it's the second change I've gone through. Started in engineering, went to photography for for eight years, and um, eight years. Yeah, and now I have this the, the restoration workshop for bicycles. And you do road bikes and mountain bikes? Uh, mainly road bikes. Only. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the mountain bike side um, doesn't appeal to me too much um, for, in terms of restoration. You know, I ride mountain bikes, but I, uh, I don't restore them. Yeah. Um, There's more heritage. Yeah. There's a longer lineage. With, exactly. With yeah. Rides. You know, I'm working on a bike at the moment from Holland that's from the mid-60s. Cool. I know. So that's, that's really cool. You know, um, you don't get that with the mountain bike side of it. Did you ride here today? I didn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Definitely not. <laughs> so, um, so why the change? What happened? Um, you were... You were doing really well. Yeah, you know, the photography business was going great. It's, it was a, sort of a personal reason. Um, when my mum was diagnosed with cancer, and then I was, I was going through her treatment alongside running the business and everything, and uh, it kind of killed my love for it, I suppose, um, trying to juggle those two things. Yeah. And then whenever we lost her in, in, at the end of 2016, I just needed a change in my life, I suppose. Um, and that, that was the main motivation. Um, so... I mean, I've been a, a, a cyclist and I've been repairing bikes from sort of the age of 13, 14. Um, so it's something I've always done yeah. and I've always wanted to turn it into a business. And uh, this was the, the time to do it, I suppose. Cool. Mm-hmm. So in two years, how many bikes have you? Oh, flip. Um, actually, like fully restored um, 17. Wow. Um, but I do a lot of repair work um, just on normal bikes, not vintage stuff, you know. Uh, so it's countless how many bikes I've worked on, but natural restorations, um, 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they take a long time. How, what's, the, what's the average length? Oh, well, it could be... Um, it depends how much you get to concentrate on it, but a build you see would drag on the best part of a month. Yeah, just yeah. getting re- researching parts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, line. and um, trying to fit in along alongside the repair work as well. Uh, that, that sort of keeps the bills. Yeah, the bed, paid, bread you know. and butter stuff. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so what's what, what what's the coolest thing you've been working on? Honestly, I think the, the bike that I mentioned there um, from Holland is, is the coolest one that's really rare, even over in uh, mainland Europe, you know, it's, it's a very rare bike. What is it? Um, it's a Locomotive F, um, Amsterdam. It's uh, a Tour de France model. And um, 
they just they, they don't exist in the UK or Ireland. You know, they, I'm pretty sure this is the only one. Wow. Um, and it came to me through a, a charity down in Waterford. He was donated it by a guy in Germany. Like at a charity shop? Uh, he, he he runs a, a bike-related charity where he gets donated bikes, uh, repairs them, and gives them to, to children who maybe oh, yeah. can't afford bikes and that kind of thing. Um, and so somebody just, what, found this in, in their garage and donated it to him? Yeah, as far as I know, this guy used to live in Ireland, had a connection with, with the guy that owns the charity, and um, now living in Germany, he picked it up there and, and sent it across. Did um, he know what it was, or was it just... By luck, he found it. But, um, but I think it was just by luck. Um, you know, it's, it's, so it's probably slightly more common over in the, the mainland. You know, it's not worth a, a, a fortune. It, yeah. it's, it's just quite rare, you know, but it, um, that's how it came to me. And uh, I make donations to this guy's charity down, down in Waterford, and then he supplies me with frames. Cool. Um, so that's, that's uh, take a trip down there maybe twice a year to, to do a collection. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, what, what all are you doing to this bike? Is it like a full-on teardown, restoration? Like, yeah. So, um, it's going to be a mix of, of um, modern parts along with the, with the original frame set. Because um, you just can't find. But, but partly because because of that, but also um, I'm trying to keep this on for myself, so I want oh. to make sure it's <laughs> it's uh, future-proof. I suppose. Yeah, rideable. It's, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the best way to put it. How many bikes do you have yourself? I only have the two. I, I'm, I'm quite controlled. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, when I uh, worked in engineering, you know, back in sort of 2008, 2009, I just I just bought every bike under the sun, you know, because I could afford it. Um, and I had the space for it. So, yeah. uh, but, but you have ran, to be a bit more, sh- you have to be a bit more sensible whenever you're um, running as a business. Yeah, it yeah. can get quite easily addictive and mm-hmm. end up with a huge collection. Yeah. And it was also, back then, it was it was partly unhappiness in my career. I was sort of comfort purchasing. Yeah. What kind of engineering? Um, electrical. Electrical. So that's what I studied at university. I have a, a degree in engineering from Queen's. And then I worked as a consultant for, for seven years. Yeah. Um, What's, what, what end of things? In oil and gas. Um, so I traveled around the UK um, basically designing the electrical systems behind um, the oil distribution mm-hmm. terminals. And uh, it was really well paid job and it was um, interesting. Just just wasn't for me. You know, when that, yeah. that kind of traveling lifestyle wasn't for me either. Uh, that's that's what prompted the move into photography. <laughs> <laughs> and and how'd you get into photography? Was that always a thing that you were? That just been a hobby that yeah. started, um, very quickly became competent at it. <laughs> so it's, um, which is is easy in the digital age, almost yeah. you know. And uh, it it was. It was the opportunity to go full time, self-employed. Um, so that's that was the big driving force behind that. You know, it was obviously I loved the photography, but it was it was really a, a way to become self-employed. That was it a big hurdle for you, like mentally? Very like, much so. Yeah, to be and, self-employed. Mm-hmm, to, very much so. And um, against the wishes of, of friends and family, and you know, and your spouse. I, no, she was actually okay with it. Um, yeah. yeah, surprisingly, yeah, it's. Uh, she saw how happy I was in engineering um, and knew that, that, that it was a good change. I, I, I've done photography 
you know, after high school, mm-hmm. I went to college and then I haven't done anything really since. It's mm-hmm. always been photography. Yeah. And I, I, I look back at, you know, classmates and stuff who literally got out of school and just put photography behind them, like mm-hmm. never did it again. And what was it like for you to, to go from engineering and to spend, what, four or five years at Queen's? Mm-hmm. And you worked at it for how long? Uh, seven. Seven, seven years, yeah. And then just, you, did, you just had enough, like totally fed up. Yeah. So the, the funny thing is, I have an engineer's personality, if that makes sense. I'm mm-hmm. um, very detailed, uh, um, methodical in the thinking, you know, everything's just, I'm, I'm an engineer at heart, but working as an engineer brought me no joy whatsoever. So that led you, that totally, you could see how that would lead you into photography, being as that's... Yeah, the technical side of it very much so really appealed to me. Um, but, uh, let's see. <laughs> and what kind of you photography can, were you doing? Um, I, I moved into weddings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I liked the, the human connection behind that. Um, so the style of photography I did was was documentary style. So I didn't really pose or prompt any, any of that kind of thing in the wedding day. It was very much like a fly on the wall. Um, I, I think there's too much magic in a wedding day to be interfered with. You know, just sure. left left to their own devices. The bride and groom will um, create those moments on their own. Um, so I just like to document it. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a far cry from engineering. It definitely was, um, and it was a big step to to leave the security of a, a salary and a pension and all the other benefits of being employed, yeah. and, and to go into to self employment. And how many weddings a year were you doing? Um, I did try to do around twenty five. Um, didn't want to go too much higher than that because then I wasn't going to have the work life balance that I'd wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and any less than that, then you're you're not meeting your your bills really. Yeah, yeah. And I, and what prompted you at the end to feel the need to find something else? It was it was purely just everything everything with mum and. Uh, um, it wasn't there wasn't any like occurrences at a wedding. No, no, there was nothing. No, with, it, it, yeah, you know, it was just just just. just you know, you know, it's it's nice not having that side to deal with in my life anymore. But no, no, the main main drive was just changing in my life. It yeah. just needed to to leave that part of my life behind. Because when I when I moved to full time, <clears throat> mum was diagnosed after six months of me moving into self employment. Um, so it's it sort of followed me the whole way through. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it, that was just a part that I needed to move on from. I suppose. Yeah. And so when you when you jumped into restoration, mm-hmm. did you already have work lined up, and or did you have to do some marketing? I or? I, I, I started started just doing it as as a sort of hobby during the photography. Yeah. Um, in the background and sort of building up um, sort of a bit of an online presence with it. Um, so that when I decided to make the leap, then I was was ready, almost established. I suppose you could put it. Um, the skill set was has been there for ten or fifteen years. I've always had the skills to do it. It's just finally putting it into practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have a big shop or quite a small workshop. It's just home based workshop. Um, that allows me the flexibility that I've always wanted. You know, if, if I had a workshop somewhere that was that had to be manned ninety five, you know, um, yeah. and people could call in and that kind of thing, 
it would take away the flexibility that I like about self-employment. So I have a home-based workshop, it's appointment only, and uh, most, most of my... Um, most of my stuff is, is collection and delivery anyway, so people don't come to me. Yeah. yeah. Don't keep a big overhead. There's not a lot of exactly, inventory. Yeah, exactly. You just um, order what you need kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah. I keep stocks, or sorry, frames in stock. Um, just like I, I mentioned, I would, I would maybe get a van load from the guy in Waterford um, and keep those in stock. Just so if someone comes to me with the bike idea, you know, I can see what you can frame build something up. Yes, yeah, see what frame oh, would match cool, their needs. Cool. So you're you're actually doing building as well as restoration. Uh, oh yeah, yes, yeah. um, custom builds. Yeah. Um, so that would that's that's sort of uh, where the main business would be. You know, alongside the repairs and stuff, the actual custom builds. Yeah. Um, so what are you finding it from? So you're getting these from charity shop in Waterford. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you find in any like super cool frames mixed in that? Um, are they all pretty run of the mill? Most of them are fairly run of the mill. Occasionally, you would get lucky with something that's nice, a nice um, tubing. You know, there's a brand Reynolds. Mm -hmm. um, so you occasionally, occasionally you would get like a five three one Reynolds five three one tube set or something in there. But you're lucky if that happens. Yeah. It's, it's normally run-of-the-mill stuff that's been donated. And then, uh, but that, those frames suit my needs perfectly for, for building daily use bikes. You yeah. Know? So they're not extravagant in, nothing, in the way of no. pricing or anything? Oh, um, no, nothing. And anything that I find that's, that's quite special. Um, I usually sell that on frame set only to, to a separate buyer. That's the way I can get the best profit out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as opposed to trying to build it up and yeah. dump more money into exactly. it. Exactly, and, and time as well. You know, the, the minute you start killing time, then you're um, you're lowering your profit. I, I know that from cars. Yeah, <laughs> doing old cars. Oh, you'll never get your money out of them. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to get people to appreciate the the time that goes behind it and, yeah. and pay for it. It's, yeah. But it's the same with same as photography. You know, that people don't understand the back end of it. <laughs> You know, all the editing and the, you know, just the hours and hours. No, they never do. Never do. Mm -mm. Well, that's great. I mean, geez. So two years you've been running with this now. Mm -hmm. Busy enough. Yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. Great. And you're doing marathons. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so I just started because I was, was spending so much time behind the computer with the photography. It's just like I, I need, you know, I'd put on a wee bit of weight, and um, <laughs> I was just I need to get something to get me out. And this was in 2015, so I started running in, in March 2015. Um, just 5Ks and stuff. You know, the park run that they the hold around the country every Saturday morning. Started with that, um, and then thought, you know what, I'll, I'll raise some money for cancer research. Um, so I signed up for London, ran London as my first marathon in April 2016 um, and I've done another four since wow. and I have two more on the cards this, this year great and I'm hoping to do an ultra marathon this year as well um, which is 50 miles in the mornings but uh, we'll see if my body goes up to that or not <laughs> <laughs> When's, what, what month is that in? that's in June um, so I'm, I'm in training at the moment yeah and uh, I just I just don't know if, if one, uh, a little, I have a little niggle from the Paris Marathon in 2017 I ran it in, on an injury and made the injury worse right. um, so that's kind of niggles in the background when I, when I push past marathon distance in my training then I, I start to get sore again yeah so we'll see 
50, 50 miles. 50 miles. 50 miles. Yeah, it's a big spot. And it's in the mountains as well, so it's... So uh, what do you expect? That's like nine hours? Oh, yeah, you're on your feet for... 10 hours? For best part of the day. You know, like, yeah. you know, nine to 12 hours, depending on how fit you are. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Up and down the morns? Yeah. Oof. I'll watch that. <laughs> it's... Um, just about pushing myself I suppose um, marathons became easy um, in 2017 because I'd done so much training and was so fit um, that I'd, I lost my drive to do them because they were no longer a challenge if that makes sense yeah. so I, I took a year off them ran London last year again for charity just to one of my brides um, from 2014 was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, she passed away at the end of 2017 so I ran London last year for her they oh, to raise a bit of money nice. in her name so and uh, yeah so Marathon just doesn't give me the challenge anymore because I know I can do them and I can do them fast. That's us. What are your times like? Um, three hours. Yeah. Three hours. Three hours. Twenty. I went into Paris, um, totally in sub three hour condition, and, and then I picked up that injury two weeks out. Mm. Um, so I completely blew my chances. I came in three hours forty, which which is I consider a slow time, you know, for for a marathon. Um, so. Yeah, hopefully. Do you, do you foresee this injury? Is, is it curable? Like, can you I, I, mend it? I have no idea. Uh, you know, I've been to physio about it, and they they don't really know what it is. Um, and it's it's just a pain down the outside of my knee. And some people have said it could be ITB syndrome, um, but nothing I've done for that helps. So I'm just, I'm just kind of I'm lost at the moment with what it is. But I can I can generally run through it okay. But just when you get past the marathon length, it yeah, it starts, starts to really flare up. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you do any other training? Do you like you ride road bikes? Yeah, I do a bit of cycling, but um, on the road. But I don't, I don't get that much enjoyment out of just pounding miles and, and the bike. Yeah. Um, and to get the same fitness, to get the same fitness uh, on cycling, you have to go out for three or four hours that you could get from twenty minutes run. Yeah. You know. Um, no, bikes are more, it's more about the, the everyday use of bikes that appeals to me these days, you know, for, for doing away with the car and doing your shopping by bike, which, which is what I do. I do all my shopping locally. Great. Have a little basket, That's you know, great. like a, a tray on the front of the bike and uh, do all my Tesco runs. In Antrim. In Antrim, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, I have a Tesco that's only two miles away, but it's it's great. I uh, go do all my shopping, so I don't have to worry about spending money in diesel or short trips in the car, you know, yeah. wearing it out. So it's, it's just... What's your daily rider then? It's a Claude Butler um, 1982. It's <clears throat> it's the Reynolds 531 tubing. Cool. Um, and it's, again, a, a mix of, of new and old parts. Uh, it, it, I built it up sort of like a portfolio piece for the business nice. and um, people love it you know what's it painted like it <clears throat> has like a rust finish so I, I stripped back the paint um, I found it in really good condition stripped back the paint to bare metal and polished that up to about um, 1200 grit which I don't know if that'll mean into or not but it's quite fine um, and then added like a forced patina to the surface uh, to create like a rust finish um, and then sealed it up clear coated it yeah. yeah and it looks awesome it's, especially in sunlight it's, it just looks <laughs> very very special um, so 
yeah, that, that was, I can, I can kind of attribute some of my success in the restoration business to that bike because people saw that and, and thought, damn, that's cool. You that's know? cool. Yeah. And you, and you have like the old vintage sort of rack out the front? It is, yes. Um, it's a new rack, but it's vintage styled. Yeah. Um, like a bread basket, that bread delivery sort of? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's maybe a foot and a half square. Struts down to the and axle. It, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. And um, <laughs> I, I just have a bag that fits on there perfectly. It's like a cool bag. And then I just do all my Tesco shops now. Here comes Colin. Watch out. Uh, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I have uh, I have a, a bike in my barn that I had back in California. And mm-hmm. I used to do the same thing. It's, it's an old Schwinn, mm-hmm. supposedly from the 50s. And it's <clears throat> matte black paint. Okay. You know, uh, big balloon tires. Mm-hmm. You know, that beach cruiser sort of look. Yeah. And I used to ride back and forth to the supermarket all mm-hmm. the time. I'd never had three or four cars at the time, and I never drove Never them. had to use them? Yes. Yeah. I'd just ride everywhere in town. It was yeah. great. Never had the locket either. Just mm-hmm. I had a you know a lock, but it, it always stayed on the frame. Mm-hmm. Never took it off. But uh, yeah, it's sitting in the barn, hanging up. I should uh, maybe drop it off to you. And uh, you should drop. <laughs> <laughs> I know the rims. I know the rims were cheap. I think it just needs a good mm-hmm. going over yeah. entirely. But yeah, to, to be able to live in a town where you can where you can actually do that, mm-hmm. stay mobile. And yeah, that's great. That, that's something that it, it frustrates me a little bit about Belfast because it's it's perfect for that. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's a totally flat city. You know, you know yep. give and take uh, the odd hill, but it's it's um, ideal for commuting. It's ideal for for shopping by bike. Um, and it just hasn't taken on here. When you go to yeah. Dublin, I don't know if you spend yeah. any time in Dublin, and there are bikes everywhere, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll see more bikes in half an hour in Dublin than you'll see in Belfast in a week. And, you know, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, they need to I think just, it's a real shame. They need to just close down the downtown core. They do, yeah, yeah. It's bit, in around the cathedral core here, yeah. yeah. It should be pedestrianised. Um, Especially and, since you have the school here, you know, mm-hmm. and you have City Hall there. Like everything between City Hall and the school. Just mm-hmm. close it down. Yeah. Exactly. Then you wouldn't have any, yeah. This congestion around here is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Belfast has a really rich history in cycling as well. You know, the the pneumatic tire Dunlop. was, yeah, it was yeah. invented in this, in this city, you know. And... Uh, so it's, it's a shame. That's something I would love. I would love to see changed in Belfast. Just is there bicycles? Is there a group that that pushes here? Um, they they try to run you know like a cycle fair as part of a sort of UK or almost a worldwide thing every year. Um, but it just doesn't have any traction. You know, it's people are quite, as you know, in this country are, are still maybe a little narrow minded and, and backwards. Um, so things take a long time to to catch on. Yeah. Um, it's. You know, we've talked about Canada, you know, I was out in Canada and I know that's where you're from, isn't that right? Um, and Victoria, out in, out in Vancouver Island. Um, yeah. And again, that's another place where bikes are everywhere there, just for, for daily use bikes. And it's a lot of vintage stuff. Um, you know, and I would love to move out there because I think I would have a really great market, you know, in, in Victoria. And, uh, when were you last there? May last year. So oh, we were wow. there in October, October 16. And then uh, we went back again in May 18 because we loved it so much. Um, and the, the second trip out was was a, a kind of scouting trip almost because we're... St- 
half considering a move. You know, we do it. We don't know if it'll happen or not, but we're uh, we're half considering a move out there. Yeah. What's and your wife do? She's a nurse, so uh, she's, there's always going to be work for her. Yeah, there, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, put your name in. Yeah. It's uh, whenever we write, then we just see bikes being used on a daily basis, um, and the. The buses in Vancouver have bike racks on the front, you know, so you yeah, can most, you can ride to the station do. and yeah. that kind of thing blows my mind because it's so perfect. Um, and they could implement that here so easily. So. You need to head up a group. Yeah, and they did need to. Um, I, I should be the change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's your there's your meaning to life mm-hmm. in staying in Northern Ireland. Yeah, you could be like the president of the of the group. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, Victoria's pretty nice, man. Mm-hmm. If you could, oof, you could make a living out in BC. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, Whistler just up the road, you know. Oh. Six months of sunshine. Just got to be able to buy a house. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yes, yeah, maybe a lottery win would come in useful before. We move. I mean, shacks mm-hmm. like tiny shacks are over a million dollars in Vancouver. Yeah, oh, it's, it's absurd. I was there was a. Was there a house? Oh, there was a house in Toronto that was advertised last week for two and a half million. Mm-hmm. It was. Was it twelve hundred square feet or something? Mm-hmm. Two and a half million. Yeah, and it's a shack. Yeah, it's like, you know, you'd have to tear it down. And there's things like that in Vancouver. All the time. Mm-hmm. Vancouver is mm-hmm. so ridiculous. I think they're trying to change the laws and stuff, having to do with, uh, you know, there's so many empty homes and empty mm-hmm. apartments there yeah. that are owned by, you know, companies and conglomerates and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're just speculating them all on them. Their owners are in the east, in the far east. Mm-hmm. Just keep collecting homes and keep collecting apartments. And yeah. Nobody lives in them. And they're just driving the market up. And mm-hmm. I mean, my sister had to move out of the city. Mm-hmm. Because she couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little town, Tofino, you'll probably have mm-hmm. heard of it on, on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And um, I was... My surname's Tough, and uh, it's called Tough City locally. That's what it's known by. And I was like, "Oh man, this is a sign." And then I was talking to a guy, a guy about it, and he was he's saying like, "Most people can't afford to live within about a thirty mile radius of here anymore, you know, to buy a house um, just because the prices are so extortionate." Yeah, um, it's it's crazy. Not a shame, isn't it? You, you yeah, find a, you find shame. a place that you actually really enjoy and you want to be at, mm-hmm. and there's just there's so many barriers. Like, yeah. yeah, the same thing happened in like Brooklyn and and mm. New York. You know, yeah. it's the gentrification yeah. just yeah. And, and people buying apartments and stuff to, to use as Airbnbs, and it forces the locals out, and, it, and then eventually that leads to killing off the the vibe of the area. You yeah. know, and yeah. you're back at square one. Yeah. I mean, that's happening a bit in Dublin as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, prices in Dublin are crazy. Yeah. yeah. Just crazy. <laughs> oh, I gotta. Yeah. It's just getting me. I gotta start riding again. You do? Yeah. I do. <laughs> I do. I really do. I'm not gonna ride with Andy, though. <laughs> Find somebody else. <laughs> that was so funny. But, um, Andy's offered a few times, and I'm like, no. No, man. I've seen your videos. I know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going riding with you. I used to see him as a like a total celebrity as well, you know, back in the day. I remember um I think it was 2002 or 2003, um, this an event that him and Glenn and Brian, Glenn O'Brien were part of, and, and Glenn Arm was called the Red Bull Moonrider, I think was oh, the yeah. name. 
Um, and I raced in the, fir- the first one of it. But I remember standing at the sign-on table and, and um, Glenn and, and Huncho were standing beside me and it was like, they were celebrities <laughs> to me, you know? It was like totally starstruck. And it's uh, funny to hear them then on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy, Andy. Yeah. He's down in the mornings now. Is he really? Yeah. Okay. Closer to the ride. Mm-hmm. Make it, making the dreams happen. Yeah. So are you still doing any photography at all? Well, obviously for yourself, your, yeah, your get, business yeah. with the bikes and stuff. That's right. I get, um, I get, I get my kind of photography fix from from just using it for the business. Yeah. Uh, you know, still lights of all the bikes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in terms of like photographing people or um, doing documentary stuff or the street photography that I did, um, I, I don't really do that anymore. Um, just because I purely don't have time. You know, it's great. You know, it's, it's like. Um, I mean, if the you, bikes if are that busy, but yeah, and just awesome. you know, you know what it's like running the business. You know, you have to be involved twenty four seven, really. Yeah. You know, if, the, the moment you start distracting yourself is when you start going backwards. You know, it's, obviously it's good to have a hobby, but running's my hobby. You know, yeah. Um, if I if I try to keep photography on as a hobby now, on top of the bikes, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. Don't have time for it. How when when it, so you're twenty four seven bikes? Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're doing a lot of research? On, on bikes specifically for builds or, or, or finding parts for bikes specific parts it's um it's, it's a kind of a mixture of actually hands on doing doing the work you know it's quite labor intensive um it's a mixture of that and also just just planning for the future planning what i want to do with the business what direction i want to take it um you know when they're just in different styles style of builds um it's just soul consuming this was it's yeah. just every aspect of the business what, where, where do you think where do you see it going what do you think you end up doing with it like, well, one thing I would love to do um, <clears throat> is move into frame building myself um, wow so, so actually jigs and doing welding yeah and exactly yeah right um, so again that's I know you're never going to make a million pounds at that but it's, that's not a minute for I'm, I'm, I do it for the love, cool do it the love of, of, of <laughs> working with my hands and, and, and creating something beautiful I suppose and uh, yeah, that, that's that's kind of on the list. Is something I would like to, to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I had uh, one of my bikes. Well, my Mantis actually. Mm-hmm. I I had to have the frame repaired on it back in the nineties, and there was a guy. His name was Harvey Cameron, and he used to do these these bikes. He used to build frames in his basement, mm-hmm. and he used to build these absolute bomb-proof mountain bikes. They were absolutely incredible. Like, they were kind of a, you know, Ellison? Uh, Ellsworth? Yes, yes, yes. They were kind of a cross between, like, an Ellsworth and a Mantis. Mm-hmm. Like, just way over-engineered. Like, like huge tubing and stuff, but still really light. Yeah. And I brought my bike, my little Mantis, to him to have, like, some goofy thing welded or, you know, just changed. Mm-hmm. And he took me down to his workshop and I'll never forget he had two like two massive table jigs mm-hmm. in his basement, you know, with all the pins and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. just incredible. I thought, man. And you know, you'd always see you'd see one of his frames like once or twice a year, like, you know, out on the trail, somebody would like whiz by it and he'd go because his his were unfinished mm-hmm. frames with his black name, Cameron, on the 
on the down tube and that awesome. was it yeah so we kept the raw steel yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool yeah they were great he's passed away now but i mean if you ever found a cameron frame mm-hmm. they're one of those ones like kind of like a brody you know mm-hmm. kind of those early 90s canadian frames that yeah, yeah. everybody was after mm-hmm. cool. but yeah is that what you see like having a couple of jigs and and doing road frames yes yeah, yeah. Um, road frames are, are more like a commuter frames what do you think a mix of both um but obviously the direction with with competitive road cycling has gone down the carbon route um and carbon just doesn't interest me at all you know i owned a carbon bike back when i was an engineer you know when i had the money to you know i could drop four or five grand on a bike and it didn't matter and uh it it brought me no joy whatsoever i rode it for maybe six months and sold it again and there was no soul no no feeling at all yeah (laughs) um and that sound yeah so it's uh so it would be, yeah, probably down the, the commuter and sort of general use bike. Um, yeah, but, but building competitive road bikes doesn't interest me too yeah. much. Or old vintage styled. Oh, it would all be vintage styled, yeah. Road, uh-huh. Competitive road mm-hmm. like, like Yeah, exactly. Like a 60s, yeah. you know, uh-huh. French whatever. Yeah, um, with the logs in it, it would definitely yeah. be logged you yeah. know, the, uh, instead of the, sort of the more modern like brazing, uh, you know, direct brazing. Um, was that a goal? Is that a five-year goal? Ten-year goal? Or? I haven't really put a time out. Like, I was, I was in um, Balamina Tech. I have a contact in there that I can go and, and use their, their welding and their brazing equipment. I was in there last night, you know, brazing on a, an old frame just to practice. Mm-hmm. But it's something I would have to actually go and learn probably as, a, as part of course. But I haven't put a timeline on it yet. Um, probably within five years, um, more like two or three, I would say. Wow. Yeah. Right on. That's a goal. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> something I really love to do. Yeah. How's the Having something, it's good. It is actually surprisingly yeah. good. Yeah. Um, having something that I could put, you know, my name on. Well, actually, you know, the, the business, my business name, AM by Co. AM were mum's initials. She helped me a lot whenever I was getting into the, the sport. You know, um, was very supportive. So having been able to build frames in the future that would have her initials stamped, you know, on the head tube or something would be quite special, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having a little relief mm-hmm. of her yeah. face on the front. <laughs> Don't know how she would have felt about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would uh, that'd be cool. But yeah, my welding's good. Welding and my brazen is, is, is coming along. Do you have yourself a welder? Yourself? <laughs> yeah, I have. I, I, I had a welder at my dad's house for probably 15 years. Um, so I have a, a background in, in using welding, but, you know, use it's a totally different technique you use with, with the bike frames. Yeah. Um, so I'm slowly but surely just kind of tinkering and practicing at the moment. So if, if it comes to the time to do the course, I have a sort of foundation laid. Yeah. Yeah. Not start from scratch. Skip ahead a little mm-hmm. bit from everybody else and just get right in there. And That's it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, I suppose part of the driving force behind that is um, the fact when you're, when you're using vintage frames, for some people, vintage means cheap. And it's hard to, um, you know... Cheap like, as in, as in 
it's inexpensive. You know, they they, they should be able to come to me and get a bike for 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 pennies. Used. Yeah, it's exactly. Used yeah. Um, so they they don't see the the work that's gone into sort of bringing it good again. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and like we had mentioned earlier, it's, it's hard to get people to appreciate time spent in the, whenever you're working in business. Yeah. Um, so, but then yeah. that wouldn't be your market, right? You're like you've got your market are people are successful professional mm-hmm. who understand the quality of years gone by. Oh of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, totally. You, you still get the fifties, sixties, and even part of the seventies when things mm-hmm. were built by hand and mm-hmm. had quality and are. <laughs> 531 Reynolds or 4130 or whatever, you know, proper tubing. You still get the inquiries though, don't you? It's it's human the photography, you still get... I need a new bike for my son. Yeah, just the... And they waste your time, you know, it's... uh, They lead you on. So one of the first questions I ask people now is, is what's your budget before we go anywhere? Just what is your budget? Um, I don't, you know... And I don't want it to be rude. I just don't want to waste, you know, a couple of hours emailing yeah. back and forth and then find out they have hundred pound to spend. Yeah. You know. But you're looking, your builds are what? What what's your range? Most of them fall in around seven, eight hundred pound mark. Yeah. Um, it just depends on the spec. You know, it can be higher, it can be slightly lower. It just depends. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. And when you when you do a build up, what what sort of components are you using for modern stuff? Like, what's what's your preferred? I would usually use um, modern wheel sets. Um, are you going after Japanese like Shimano and stuff, or are you doing Italian stuff? No, it's it's. Do you have a preference? Um, I don't really have a preference. It's, it's what fits with the client's budget, what fits with the style of the bike. Mm. Um, one thing I'd like to do is standardize that a bit more going forward so that all my bikes use the same wheel set, all of them use the same cranks yeah. um, to create a bit more consistency in the builds and establish a, a kind of aesthetic that I, is mine. Yeah. You know, instead of every bike like looking totally with? different. Pardon? What do you like working with? Personally, um, like if you if you had to make up your own, build up your own bike, um, what would you put on? I, I, I've always loved Shimano. I don't know why. Um, always have. Um, you know, there's the the Campag stuff that's that everyone goes crazy about. Um, but it's. <laughs> I don't feel an attraction to it for some reason. Yeah, yeah, finicky. Um, no, no, it's just I, aesthetically, it's, it's, it uh, doesn't get in for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but there's 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 this brand um, called Mallard, and it's an old French band, and they're fairly in, they're inexpensive hubs, um, but they polish up really well and they look great. On the, if 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 a client needs to keep the budget down a little bit, I'll usually sub those in. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they have a bit of a soft spot for them just because they're they're inexpensive but they're really nice little, little hubs you know cool um, and their quality like oh yeah they'll, they'll run and run and run yeah yeah because yeah. um, you know they're they're from the 80s and they're they're still going strong so I I polish them up to, to a mirror finish in the, the bench polisher and they, um, they look 100, 100% you know so you're building up your own wheels mm-hmm. yeah yeah I've, I've built wheels for 15 years cool. and, um, so it's yeah, my wheels are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I use off-the-shelf. Um, again, it comes down to the client's budget because you have to factor in the time spent actually building the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can just buy a wheel set off-the-shelf, and uh, 
it's, it saves me a lot of time, which saves them money, you know, and the, they're but just as good. But obviously, yours are better. Yeah, because they're hand-built. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, off-the-shelf stuff is, is all machine-built. Yeah. Maybe hand-finished. Yeah. But um, you can't really beat a hand-built wheel that's been true yeah. and, and, yeah. and you've checked the tension and, and bedded it in yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've got 17 out there right now. Mm-hmm. Which awesome. is a nice feeling. That's great. It's nice to think that people are riding that's around on them. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I built uh, last, just last summer, I built a Peugeot for a guy. Uh, it was his dad's Peugeot. Um, for, he, his dad lives in France and he used to tour France on it, you know, literally go around the whole country on this old Peugeot. Um, and he brought it over for me to restore. He lives in Dublin now. And then uh, he took it back to his, his dad after it was restored and they spent the summer riding about on it, you know. Ah, great. Um, so that was a really nice feeling and he sent me photos from around France when I've been using it and that was that was cool perfect yeah do you do any sort of uh, if you get an old frame like that do you do any testing for cracks and stuff is there a, is there a test that you can do or not no, no sort of it's really just a visual Visuals? inspection yeah. yeah I know and it steel frames I mean they're going to go forever unless there's an obvious fault, you know. So it's um, yes, yeah, so it's just a visual inspection, yeah. and for, for, and for any, cra- any steel hair, you deal with it's all, all steel, all yeah, steel. yeah, no aluminium or carbon at all. No, you just push the aluminium away when it shows up, or yeah. Well, the, the era that you that would, I yeah, sort of focus on, you don't really see, yeah. see aluminium. Um, and I don't have too much interest in, in, in doing any aluminium yeah, stuff, even from the 90s. Or, yeah, and, and it's, uh, they don't ride very well. Um, I don't, they have a very harsh ride. Aluminium has no give, whereas steel has a nice give and flexibility, same as carbon. Yeah. Um, aluminium is super stiff, super rigid, and uh, they just don't ride nicely. Um, so I just discount them. So what do you ride for a mountain bike? I, <laughs> you're going to laugh, an aluminium. Um, <laughs> Santa Cruz Heckler. Um, oh, nice. So it's a big bike. It's a big bike, yeah, yeah. But you know, it rarely gets touched these days. I'm not saying so. I should really just get rid of it. Um, hmm. No, no. I've, the the, the appeal of one's enough. Yeah, the appeal of going out on the <laughs> in a muddy forest and. Um, spending two hours cleaning up after an hour's ride doesn't doesn't do anything for me anymore. No. Did when I was young, but not anymore. Exploring, like exploring on the bike. Yeah. Yeah, but then that's not the right bike for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, the the mountain bike side is, is kind of even though that's where my love started, it's it's fallen by the wayside. I, I rarely, what about if you lived in BC? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, on the island. Oh, whistle right there, island. you know. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Just a, it's a jungle. Mm-hmm. You've, been, you've obviously hiked through the forest and mm-hmm. on the island. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. incredible walking oh. through uh, the thousand-year-old trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just all the ivy and everything hanging and everything's green. Like, you think Ireland is green, mm-hmm. and then you get there and it's, like, dense green. Yeah, it's, it, it, that place totally stole my heart, honestly. I've, um... I think about Canada every day, you know. <laughs> it's such a special place. Um, so yeah, the mountain biking would be awesome out there. If, if I move back there, of course, I would get back into the biking, the mountain biking. But then you've, you've got 
so much more sunshine. The trails are always dry. You know, you don't yeah. have to spend so much time cleaning up after yourself and all those things that kind of kill my enjoyment of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cleaning. Isn't cleaning just a hose? <laughs> Is that a serious question? (laughs) (laughs) Out with the pressure washer on your bearings? Uh, (laughs) A brush. A brush in the hose. Jeez. If it was lucky. I was bad, I guess. I guess I'm bad. I mean, that's all I would have ever done. Would have gone out for a ride and come back and... Jeez, if it got washed. Mm Mm-hmm. It would just be a hose and maybe take the broom, Mm -hmm. handed the broom to it and just run it over a chain stay and Mm -hmm. that'd be about it. Yeah. Grease it back up and set it aside for the next time. The the OCD part of me doesn't, that doesn't sit well. Oops. (laughs) Oops. It has to go back in sparkly. Oh, man. Yeah, well, Jeez, Canada. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you gone on any bike tours at all? No. Nope. Like, no, around? we didn't do it because I was there with Cheryl, and she, she doesn't really have any interest in cycling. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't just go biking and then leave her. Yeah. You know, um, I used to go out to the, the French Alps for, for mountain biking um, in the summer, but I haven't done any in Canada, unfortunately. Yeah. Just we, we hired bikes and, and rode around the parks and stuff. Yeah. Um, but no problem, no proper biking. Yeah, I've, I've ridden the Rockies mm-hmm. and I've ridden Delta, which is the south part of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Where else have been? Well, in the States, been to Moab. And, okay, well. Yeah. Oh, jeez. And then back in the 90s, I used to have a mountain goat. Okay. Which, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They were 4130. And um, Kumalia. yeah, uh-huh. Jeff Lindsay from Chico, California. Okay, no, no, beautiful, beautiful bikes. Uh-huh. I had two of them, and uh, back in the early mid '90s, and we'd go to uh, New England, mm-hmm. which is about a ten-hour drive, and uh, do downhills back in the day, mm-hmm. like old ski hills that it was just beginning. Mm-hmm. to ride ski hills yeah so uh they would open up and you'd get the chairlift and we'd ride down these you know rigid, yeah like rigid, a totally unfinished yeah rigid course. frames yeah. like no mm-hmm. suspension and just barrel down that was great and then some of the trails some of the single track in in new england is just because it'll go for hundreds of miles mm-hmm. these tracks these trails it's incredible you just keep riding and ride lose total sense of time and distance Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it starts to get dark and you're like, <laughs> where did we park? Where, yeah. where, where the hell are we? But yeah, it's a different, it's a totally different world. It's the being, you know, so, conf- I wouldn't say confined, but I mean, Ireland, Northern Ireland, you just have, you know, a trail system that goes around the Morns or, mm-hmm. you know, and there and there and there. Yeah. And it's very, you know, 
I, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, in North America, the freedom can, isn't there. Yeah, you can just come to a fork in the trail. Mm-hmm. And which way are you going to go this week? Take the right, take the left. Mm-hmm. You never know. And you could go for 15 miles and not yeah. see another person. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I loved about it as well, about just the, the, the sheer expanse of the wilderness. You know, everywhere you look here, even if you're in the mornings, you, you see human influence. You, you know, you see a wall yeah. that was built yeah. or you see, whereas in, in Canada, it's, it's proper rugged Isolation. wilderness. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so yeah. I totally get what you mean about the, the, the cycling. Um, as well, you know, you go you go to this the bike park in Ross Trevor, and you're you're in this sort of twenty mile loop or sixteen mile. Loop, I can't remember what it is. It's like kilometers maybe. Um, and there's no scope for really exploring outside of that. Just yeah. on a whim. Whereas, you know, Canada has the opportunity, or North America, you know. Yeah, I mean, when, yeah, it comes it comes down to Canada. You know, Crown land, <laughs> it's government land. You can yeah. ride on it anywhere. And in the states, it's. Uh, or they call it BLT or something. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, yeah, I heard I heard it mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a yeah. YouTube video, um, but I can't remember. B something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, but I would, I'd throw my bikes in the back of the Cherokee, my Jeep, mm-hmm. and you just start driving, and you take a fire road, and you take another fire road, yeah. and then you know. You're, you've been gone for a couple hours just driving. Mm-hmm. Then you stop, get the bikes out of the back of the truck, and then just start riding down old fire roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, like you say, you'll never see another person. Yeah, you'll never see another person. And this fire road might be 20 years old, 30 mm-hmm. years old. And then you cut off and you go down another dirt road and it starts to get more overgrown and overgrown. And mm-hmm. it comes out onto a lake, yeah. you know, a lake that probably nobody's been to in the past 20 years yeah 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 so yeah what keeps it keeps you here again (laughs) (laughs) it's love isn't it myself into this yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's i would say that's that's that would be one of the prime things that you can't change that you i would love to see here yeah is to have that sort of uh, access mm-hmm. to land use, you know, just to be able to do things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a smaller country. And, yeah. You know, we don't have that kind of public land yeah. that you can really do all that with. But at least, you know, at least they have opened up mountain biking in the past 10 years. Yeah. The, I mean, um, they, they came around to it finally understanding that there is money to be made and it is a worthwhile mm-hmm. proposition. Yeah, when it, because when I started, it was, you know, we used to go out to, to Tardry Forest near Antrim and um, <laughs> with their shovels and our, our saws and we built our own trails and they were terrible and they, they didn't stand up to, to, the, to winter rain, you know. But now people are so fortunate when they get into the sport and they have, it was the investment from chain reaction that, that yeah. really helped you know um, you can say a lot of bad things about like a massive a massive business business like that but they they did help the sport in this Absolutely. country yeah, yeah. Um, so people are very fortunate now they, they can ride on purpose built trails they have beginner you know intermediate and, and sort of expert levels and you can go and sort of do it safely I yeah. suppose and do it very conveniently so it's a good time to get into the sport. 
now, you know, actually oh. into yeah, proper mountain biking. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's always a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it just, it seemed like the government was dragging its feet for so many years, making it... That doesn't happen in Northern Ireland. Ma- <laughs> making it, quote, illegal to ride mm-hmm. a mountain bike. Mm-hmm. You know? it, it used to be back in the day, um, people would put like fishing wire across our trails uh, yeah like the ramblers they, still do yeah, because they didn't like the bike tires messing up the yeah. I mean there was one dangerous is that? there was one just a couple weeks ago I was talking to Andy about uh-huh. well I guess it would have been in December or November that they found uh, was it piano wire or something yeah it's uh, I just don't get it you know <laughs> what's the sense like it nobody's using those trails anyways. There, there are no hikers mm-hmm. on those trails. I yeah. mean, it is, it was created for mountain bikes. Exactly. Yeah. So, and even if it, even it, mountain bikers share the trails. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, yeah, how many times, I don't know. Have you ever come across a mountain biker that just, you know, was rude to you or just blew by you? <laughs> pretty rare yes yeah, few few and far between but like like everything you always get the odd person but yeah but no generally you know um they're i mean you everyone's somebody, very respectful of other people yeah, other you see people somebody walking on a, on a fire road or you know on a narrow trail you always slow down mm-hmm. you always you know said hello hi mm-hmm. you know quick salutation and then yeah once you pass them you speed back up and get back up to speed that was something I always made a point of. Um, either if I was on the road cycling, you know, if, and if a car gave me space, I would always make sure to wave out yeah. as a thanks because yeah. it, that does a lot for the sport. Um, because the next time they meet a cyclist on the road, they're going to give them room too. And the same thing goes if you meet a rambler when you're out in the forest, just yeah. nod, say hello, you know, um, and give them a bit of space and slow down for them. Especially if they have like a dog or something with them. Especially. Yeah. Um, just, it's, it just comes down to manners really, doesn't it? It's, if you, if you're polite to someone it, it looks good for the sport and um, they will Carries be polite on. back yeah definitely mm-hmm. so if you got anything yeah got anything planned any trips or anything not besides your marathons um no not this year no it's uh i don't know what we're doing for holidays this year um no it's just marathons take, at the take, moment taking yeah. the wife to moab <laughs> If, if we're going anywhere, it'll be back to Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, we, don't, we don't have anything on the cards yet. It's, uh, I think this, this feels like a year where I want to just keep my head focused on the business. Yeah. Um, Start thinking about those jigs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and Space. I guess you'd have to find a space then. Yeah, um, I would love. I would love to get like a purpose-built workshop at home. Get you know a, a bigger, just bigger workshop. Do you have the space to put a? I do. I do. Um, little building on. But like, but like everything you you sort of have to weigh up the the cost versus where it'll take the business. You know, it's, it's yeah. a business decision at the end of the day. And also, um, we're not sure how long we're staying in that house, so I don't want to pump a load of money into a, a new workshop there and then be leaving in two years. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, this year. Don't know about travels. Um, Physical year just to concentrate. Yeah. So, what are your two marathons? Um, Belfast in May, fifth of May, I think it is, and then um, I'll probably do Dublin. Um, and the ultra marathon is is the the Morn Way Marathon in June. So you got three. Yeah, two two marathon distance and then the ultra. Yeah. Ultra. Wow. Yeah. So if you do, you foresee yourself 
doing more ultras if it works out for you? Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. That, that, you, you like that idea? Of- yeah. Um, the thing I love about the ultras is it, are, and just trail running in general, is, um, it takes me into nature. Mm-hmm. You know, so the road the road running is great because it's accessible. I walk out my front door and I can just start running. But when I go trail running, I'm in, in the mountains, have a fresh air, there's no one around me, no cars, no exhaust fumes. And um, that's the appeal of Alters as well as pushing my, my body to the limits. It's it's uh, takes me into nature. Yeah. Which is a big part of part of it for me, you know. Um, and I'm like a massive introvert even being on this podcast is, is super awkward for me um, so I, I love my own space I love being on my own um, headspace mm-hmm. yeah yeah, definitely yeah. so where would you would you go all the way down to the Morns if you wanted to do it run yourself and or the best place locally is probably Glenar Forest um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you've all oh, the hills. Oh. Yeah, because I had a race there on New Year's Day, and it's, it was only five and a half miles or something. But it's it's up to the top of the valley, and then down, oh. and then up again. Oh. You know, so it's that's um, brutal. Yeah, it's really brutal. <laughs> Good way to bring in the new year, though. And uh, so that's 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 probably the best place locally to do it, um, just to get to get away that's from people yeah. and uh, get a bit of freedom around. God, Olivia and I were there a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we did like one lap mm-hmm. we just walk it just did one lap yeah and there was a, a guy running who passed us five times well we did we did and he went five times mm-hmm. by us I couldn't believe it the yeah. guy just powering up the hills yeah. powering up the hills yeah that's a workout that's a steep is. hill dude. Mm-hmm. crazy yeah I'll stick to biking yeah were you out with the dogs yeah you had that the dogs time out? yeah um, I think we had one dog with us that mm-hmm. time. Jeez, that would probably be more than a couple of years ago now. It's probably like five or six years ago at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't get out that much anymore. Yeah, it's just yeah. there's 40, 40 dogs, so mm-hmm. seventy odd animals in total. Remember, we had the day out there, and that was way back in two thousand and twelve. Though the for Lucy's trust, like the fundraiser walk. Oh yeah, Remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. I was going back. I can't believe that's seven years ago. How many years? Ago? Seven years. That was 2012. It was before I, I went um, full time. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I should do another one of those. Been, I've been meaning to do something in the studio, get people in. I did that a couple of years ago. I just opened it up mm-hmm. on Facebook. Just said, you know, a dozen people, if you want to come into the studio, we'll get a model go through equipment and do lighting techniques and stuff and you know 12 people showed up you know on Facebook within six or seven minutes it was mm-hmm. full and, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah it was all totally free so I mean that thing I think was a 10 10 pounds mm-hmm. you know, something like that yeah. whatever yeah. but yeah I should do something like that again mm-hmm. so did you keep all your gear no all your can I sold it all Every last bit of it. Really? Yeah, because Jeez. So too, no, no. too much dead money sitting. Um, you know, because I wasn't planning to use it commercially anymore, it was just far too much money to be to be sitting on for no yeah. reason. Um, yeah, I got, got rid of it all and invested it in the business. What, what kind of gear did you have? Uh, 5D Mark III's, the, the new 24-70, the, the Mark II of that, the, the, the sharp one. Um, 
85 1.2, the 51.2, the 35.1.4. Um, do, do you miss any of that, that gearhead sort of stuff? Not really, no, because once once I I found the equipment that I liked, I forgot about equipment, if, if that makes sense. Um, I'd let that not be a deciding factor in how I worked. Yeah. So I, I f- You had the gear that worked for you. For me, yeah. The, the 5D Mark III was great camera, low noise, was perfect for, for my needs. Um, the 35 and the 85 were a perfect combination for, you know, slightly wider and then a almost telephoto. And... Uh, yeah, um, so I was never a tech head in, in that respect. Um, the, the gear was a tool, that's all it was to me. You know? yeah. um, whenever there was a new camera released, it didn't interest me in the slightest because I knew I already had gear that worked for me. You know? yeah. um, so no, I don't miss that one. I, I sold them all, it, was, it, was, it would have been silly just to leave that sitting there, you know, paying insurance on it and all that kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah. So now it's just your phone? Everything's shot on Lightroom yeah. mobile. Really? Every, everything you've ever seen on my Instagram or really? Facebook is all shot on the iPhone. Yeah. And the Light Lightroom mobile app shoots, shooting, raw. shooting raw. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. The files are amazing. very good quality. Amazing. As long as you... As, as long as the light is decent. Is it, yeah, yeah. Um, Once it gets into low light... Yeah, if, if you take the ISO past maybe sort of 75, it's, the, the noise is ridiculous. Um, so most of my shots, <clears throat> I'll, I'll keep below sort of ISO 50. If I have to go higher than that, then I'll, I'll bust out a tripod and drop my shutter. Um, but it's, it's great. And if you underexpose a little, because um, it blows the highlights very quickly as well, that sensor. Um, so just underexpose like a third of a stop and then bring that up and post and you, you save your highlights. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like shooting film used to be, you know, you, you would, um, let me see, you're getting that reversed. You'd overexpose and underprocess. Yeah, because it, it was like, yeah, you, you want to retain the, you, you overexposed in film, was it, to, to retain the shadows because the shadows would get lost yeah. and you could pull the high, highlights back really easily. So you overexposed film, underexposed digital. Um, I'm getting that the right way around, Darren. It's been too many years, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, a, I have a, another whole blog post mm-hmm. on film that I've, it's, I'm, I've been writing for about three months now, just rehashing all my old memory of film mm-hmm. and what each film did and, and how, to, how to expose for it, how to process it and everything. Yeah. And I just, every week I go back to it and I write a little bit more, a little bit more, and then I, I forget. And I actually found yesterday I was cleaning out, and I found a whole bunch more film, mm-hmm. and a film that I had totally forgotten about, like Konica, yeah. thirty two hundred Konica, uh-huh. ISO thirty two hundred color. Dude, I had a bunch of rolls of this stuff. Oh my god, I totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. That film was great for this. Mm-hmm. And now I've got more to write on this blog post. So yeah, I, b- I bought a Leica M six a couple of years ago. Oh, um, and only shot black and white on it. Uh, they're so affordable. Now. Yeah, they are. They're really affordable. So affordable. Yeah. And it, um, it paired it up with a little thirty-five. Was it one point? No, it was an F two lens, thirty-five F two. Um, and only shot Tri-X on it, pushed to sixteen hundred. <laughs> Did all the development at home awesome. myself, scanned it in myself. Awesome. Um, 
You still got it? No, got rid of that as well. Oh my god! Yeah. You were never gonna. You, you wouldn't have jumped back into wedding shooting on the line. I know. I know. Uh, it, it was the one that was hard to get rid of because I found one that was in great condition, and uh, um, I, d- I didn't really want to sell it. But again, it was it was kind of it was never getting used, and I could. Would you get for it? If you mind me asking. Um, selling. Well, uh, I I sold the body only for eight fifty. I think it was. Um, which wasn't. I think I only bought it for nine hundred, so I only lost fifty quid and got yeah. a few, you know a few years use out of it. Um, but it was still immaculate. You know, I'd kept it in really good condition. I saw an M4P a couple weeks ago. And there's a couple little things that were wrong with it. And it would have had to have gone in for some pretty major service. But I think it was like 500 pounds or something. Mm-hmm. Which is just incredible yeah. price. I couldn't believe it. Like I, I did a little research. I caught, contacted a friend who who's in Leica. And he's like, yeah, that's what the prices are these days. Mm-hmm. Just pick one up for a song and mm-hmm. a couple of nice lenses. And yeah. there's your childhood, one of your childhood goals. Mm-hmm. To own a Leica. To own a Leica, yeah, exactly. And it's, I sort of bought it to myself as a 30th birthday present as well. And um, But it was, I, I don't like keeping things in my life that are dead weight, you know, because it's, it's something that I need to think about. Wow, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> What do you, what, what's in the garbage bag at the curb uh, every week, man? What are you getting rid of? Um, yeah, it's, it's just if, if it's something that's sitting on the shelf that I have to think about or, or have to, to give mental energy to, then I I just get rid of it. That's good philosophy, man. I know. It's, good uh, philosophy. It's, if it's something that, you know, I need to worry about maintaining or feeling guilty because I haven't used it in a couple of years and that kind of thing. Oh. So it's just, you know, get, get rid of it. I keep hold of items that they're important to me you know like sentimental sentimental like how you know the grandas war medals and, and that kind of thing sure obviously you would never get rid of things like that but um, just material possessions yes it's nice to have them sometimes but you know if they clutter up your mind then get rid of them uh, we're two hoarders here <laughs> guy that just uh, the worst thing is to have a farm mm-hmm. and with several buildings because before you know it you're just collecting everything yeah like you never throw away anything mm-hmm. you just I will use it again it's because you can close the door and forget about we'll it, it in the, out in the barn yeah. Yeah. oh my god and it's like why do we have all this wood yeah. look at all this wood oh my god there's a whole building full of wood mm-hmm. so we just start giving it away yeah, gave, I gave away a whole shed of wood to a colleague. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, I can use it. Okay, here you have a little wood uh, wood burning stove at home, don't you? Uh, am Outside, I, yeah, always. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love it. Use it for that. Oh, <laughs> wow! No, this was this was actual like good wood. Okay, you, you wouldn't burn. Wood. Okay, okay. These were old like beams and stuff, mm-hmm. beautiful beams. But you know, when am I ever going to get around to like? <laughs> building something with you know yeah. a 4 by 12 <laughs> yeah you know a 20 foot long 4 by 12 that was a beam you know in some old barn or something mm-hmm. and give it to somebody who can use it mm-hmm. but yeah and I do still have my dad's old um, it's just a Minolta 
the film camera that, and there's a roll of triax in that that's half shot um, and it has a wee 50 51.8 lens in the front of it so that that's like has a sentimental attachment so I'll, I'll keep hold of that and yeah. if I ever feel the urge to do a bit of street photography again that's at 50 mils pretty good for that yeah. just um, change the battery and mm-hmm there you go. Yeah, it has a little um, button battery for light meter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I still have a camera, just doesn't get used. So oh, no lighting? No. All gone. Everything gone. 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 Yeah. Good for you. Brittle. Yeah. Yeah, well, good for you. Mm-hmm. To be able to, like, admit to that. It was like a purge, you know. Oh, just for sure. Get rid sure. of everything. Mm-hmm. I think about the uh, I think about the camera equipment that I have and I always there's always stuff in the back of my mind. Oh yeah, I'll get I'll use that again. You know. Got one of those those uh panoramic rigs mm-hmm. for doing spherical stuff. Okay. And like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll use that again. Use that one day. <laughs> I'll use it again. You know, what if I if I sell it now, you know, somebody could call me tomorrow and I I need to buy one again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's paid for. Mm-hmm. And it sits there on the shelf, and it's just sell me, sell me. <laughs> I suppose though, with your commercial work, um, you never really know what type of shit you are going to be asked to do. So the, holding, keeping hold of things. Like if I was still in the industry, there's no way I would have sold those those things. It's, it's just because I'm not in the in- industry anymore. But you're even good at, with your bike components and stuff by not having an inventory. Yeah, by yeah. not holding an inventory. That's that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's keeping the. the it's really tight. Yeah. Keeping your business really tight. That's partly due to space, just because I don't have the space to, to keep hundreds and hundreds of parts. But it's also, again, it's the, the kind of mental energy that I would be wasting looking at those, thinking, yep. I need to do, I need to restore that, I need to do that. If, if it... If it's not going to bring anything to the business, I'll just get rid of it. You know, um, it's all about streamlining and, and making my life as, as easy as possible. If, if that makes sense, and I, you know, and that's that's across everything in my life. Yeah, is for sure. books sitting sitting on the shelf to to flip out an old clothing, you know, and books too. Yeah, um, get rid of books. If if it's say if it's a book I read didn't enjoy, I'm not going to keep that. Oh, okay, you know, okay. where I. Uh, you know, I have my favorite authors, and I would never get rid of those. Um, but yeah, if something, if, 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 if it was if a novel and it didn't yeah. jive with you, then exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. cool. just get rid of it. Um, I'll go to the charity shop. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not it's yeah. dead or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. It's, it's the whole, the minimalism craze that kind of kicked off maybe five years ago really spoke to me. It's just it's a simple life. You don't live it's, in a tiny house, do you? No. No, we live in a tiny house. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you have the sheds at the farm. Yeah, it's, um, but even our tiny house, there's stuff stacked up. Mm-hmm. You know, just we use it to its fullest. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have that sort of attitude. Be able to purge things. It's great. It's um, the same applies to my wardrobe. You know, I I wear have the same sort of uniform for work, uh, effectively for the workshop. You know, it's the same pair of shorts and the same t-shirt. And uh, I wake up in the morning, I don't have to think. I just grab fresh yeah. of the same t-shirt. I don't have to think what I'm going to put on. It's good for packing. For it is. It's really good for, for packing. Going on flights yeah. and stuff. Uh-huh. It's just like yeah. There's five t-shirts. 
two pairs of jeans. Mm-hmm. There I go. And that's me. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm wearing jeans today, but I I wear shorts pretty much every day around. You know. Um, You're that guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> when I rock up at my dad's house and it's it's like minus four and I'm wearing a pair of shorts, he just shakes his head. <laughs> it's like, are you really my son? <laughs> it's not that cold. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> It's more con- for convenience. I like the freedom it, it affords me. Exactly. <laughs> when I take the dog out, I don't get the bottom bottom of my jeans all wet because uh-huh. I don't have a bottom of my jeans. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's really funny. Um, when I start like training properly for marathons, I my legs stop being cold. You know, it's, I don't know whether it's it's improved blood flow or what it is from from being fitter, but I didn't feel the cold. I could, I could be walking around in snow and shorts, and and I didn't feel the cold. Um, that was a very noticeable sort of knock on from, mm-hmm. from being fitter. So what do you train a week? At my peak, it was about 55 miles, but at the moment I'm only hovering around 25, 25 miles a week. That is, um, yeah, at, at the peak, I was, I was so doing five a day or something. It, it just depends. Some days I'll, I'll be doing, you know, like a 15 mile run. Some days I'll be doing a three mile run. It just, really? just depends. A 15 mile run. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, that's a good run for a day. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So do you listen to music or are you just in your own zone? Uh, podcast. Well, most of the time I, I, run to the beat of my footsteps if that makes sense you know so you use your cadence and you time your breathing with your cadence and it, it keeps you at a very consistent pace it's like a metronome mm-hmm. um, on really long runs I'll throw on a podcast or something just because like three or four hours in the road can be a bit boring yeah <clears throat> it'll go through quicker with something <laughs> what are you um, listening to I it's a podcast called Making It um <laughs> It's three YouTube guys who are uh, they're, they're makers. You know, they they work metal work and woodwork. Oh yeah, and they have some YouTube channels built around that. But then they started started a podcast together. But a lot of it is applicable to people who are self-employed. You know, it's about the the like isolation feel and the the lack of security, the lack of to go into the psychology of it. And uh, yeah, very much. So um, and they and they use their, their own experience. You know, they they don't try to solve anyone's problems, but they they just put out their experience yeah. and hope that it Making resonates it. with someone else. Making it, yeah. Um, they have two, uh, two, 200 episodes. They just passed wow. 200. Wow. Um, so about an hour. It's about an hour, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. But it's, it's a good one if, if, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. I leave it running in the workshop as well, just in the background. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. there's, yeah. A, there's one um, I'm, I just got into. It's a... Uh, from NPR in the States and it's all about entrepreneurs mm-hmm. very successful entrepreneurs okay like who sell their companies for millions and millions and they tell their stories and everything how I made this I think it's called okay yeah it's pretty good yeah gotten into it lately I'll give that a go yeah do you um so you, do you use earbuds or do you have just curious because yeah I, they're just like I, these little bluetooth ones that um, hook over the top yeah. of your ear so they, they stay put when I'm running when you're running yeah. mm-hmm. I'm just curious because mm-hmm. I was going to invest in some I wasn't sure what was out there what would work mm-hmm. well geez uh, Colin that's uh, we've been going on a bit <laughs> <laughs> that's great I really appreciate your time it's great to catch up yeah and, it was, uh, uh, yeah it was good to get to chat Rob yeah. yeah it's been too long Thank you very much. Well, that was great. 
big thank you to Colin for taking the time out of his busy schedule to speak with us today. And a big thanks as well to the Mac Belfast for hosting us. See you all again next time on Agitate. Agitate.